Uh, yeah, Brent, I was listening to your coach's show last night, and I heard you say that you probably felt like you maybe had a Rolodex of better plays on that fourth. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're, we're on to West Virginia now. Do you feel like, though, generally that the offensive play calling can improve the last couple of weeks, or is it more of an execution for the offense moving forward? I'm just, we're on to West Virginia. They've done a pretty good job. You know, I think they've got a great body of work. You know, you look at it uh, offensively, you're still number one in the conference in, in scoring. Uh, that is the name of the game there. And uh, first in the conference in total yards, first in the conference in uh, passing. Uh, they've obviously made a lot of good decisions. And, um, you know, I think we're top 10 in the country and on third downs, first in the conference in third downs. So, uh, They've done a really, really nice job. They've protected the passer really well, one of the best in college football. So, That was Brent Venables' weekly press conference Tuesday morning. Sooner Scoop's George Stoya with the questions. And in case you couldn't make out the first question that George asked, he said, quote, I was listening to your coach's show last night, and I heard you say you probably have a Rolodex of better plays on that fourth and five play. Then you heard... Brent Venables interrupt before George could finish the question with, quote, yeah, we're on to West Virginia now, end quote. Never has a seven-word answer said so much. And even the follow-up question, which to George's credit, he was prepared for in case of the brief answer to the first question, George then asked a more general question about the Oklahoma offense, and Venables gave another short answer. He said the same thing. Quote, we're on to West Virginia. Then after about two beats, you could tell Venables realized, okay, I've got to salvage this exchange because everybody in this room knows exactly how I feel. So Venables added on some half-hearted praise for the offense, citing statistics that, yes, do look good, like third down conversion percentage. 47% is really good. By the way, though, it's not top 10 in the country number 21 in the country to be exact, still really good. Number one in the Big 12 in total offense, that's great as well. And I agree, Oklahoma has protected the passer pretty well in 2023. All of what he said about the offense is true. But it was the beginning of the exchange that told us all we needed to know. And it sure seems that Brent Venables is just as fed up and just as frustrated with the offense after the last two games and probably more precisely the last three games, as a lot of us are. Venable said it at Rudy's Barbecue Monday night. That fourth down play, Oklahoma's probably got a whole Rolodex of plays that are better than that one in that situation. And quite frankly, Oklahoma's probably got a whole Rolodex of plays that are better than the stuff we've seen called for portions of the Sooners' back-to-back losses. Oklahoma's 7-2. and two. Ten wins in the regular season is still doable. Not all hope is lost. Just ask Drake Stoops, who said this week that this team's got a lot left to play for, and he wouldn't care if Oklahoma was winless. He'd play hard because he loves football, and he loves Oklahoma. Sure, there's still a lot left to play for, and I hope the Sooners figure it out starting Saturday and went out to close the season. But by far the most interesting storyline to follow throughout the rest of the 2023 season is Brent Venables and his reactions to Oklahoma's offense. He's not a fan right now. You can tell. Three to four more games of the same offensive product we've seen the previous three games. And it's anybody's guess what decisions, if any, 
Venables will make with his offensive coaching staff in the offseason. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hey there. Welcome back to the show. Lee Benson joined as always by Grant Benson. And well, we're here in championship November and Oklahoma needs a lot of help in order to win some sort of championship here in 2023. And to be honest, I haven't even done the math yet on how the Sooners could end up in the Big 12 title game. But I do know that Texas will obviously have to lose at some point to make that even a possibility. So anyways, let's be real. Championships should be the furthest thing from Oklahoma's mind right now because, well, all you should care about is West Virginia and going 1-0 this week. Basically, just stand by with total coach speak. Grant, welcome back into the show. Middle of the week here. Uh, Sunday, you said that you were feeling apathetic after that disappointing bedlam loss. How are you feeling now a few days later? Pretty similarly. Um, I just kind of waiting to see how, you know, how they're going to look on Saturday, I suppose. Um, I, think, I think what would need to happen for OU to be in the Big 12 championship game absent or I mean, other than winning out, uh, Texas would need to lose to Iowa State. That seems to be the most realistic one. That's that's in Ames, and that's a night game. Um, and I guess I mean nobody else has thought of this. What if Oklahoma State loses two more times, which I think is imminently possible because they're not that good. I mean, yeah, they could certainly lose this weekend at UCF. But I mean, isn't the whole bit on Oklahoma State that their schedule is not very hard? And I do think they're actually pretty good. So. Mike Gundy has them going pretty good, pretty good right now. So, I mean, unless they just decide to be like Oklahoma and Bedlam was their national championship game and then they just fall off, which is certainly possible because they're college kids. And, you know, who knows? I guess that and their defense isn't very good. So uh, their yeah, defense that sucks. Happen. That, that defense sucks. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying it's likely or anything, but they're only a three point favorite on the road against UCF. Um, we talk about betting principles a lot on this show, and that is absolutely a game. If you follow betting principles, that's the one where the sharps are almost certainly going to be on UCF based on that line. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not expecting anything. OU at this point in time, OU does not deserve to be in that game. It's, um, like we said, the, the losses, the last two weeks are, are unacceptable. They're bad losses. I don't care if everyone thinks those two teams are good. Those are not particularly good teams. It'd be shocking if, I mean, sure, I can see them losing to UCF. I kind of I don't think they will just because, again, I think Oklahoma State's playing good football right now. And gosh, I mean, at no, there's Houston no, and there's no gets, doubt that they're playing good football, their best football, but there's that thing of them not really having a lot of good players. Well, I mean, but UCF is certainly beatable. Their defense isn't good at all. And Oklahoma State oh, actually not, knows how to exploit bad defenses. Sure, yeah. And, no, it's uh, not, not going to go great. I mean, they UCF got Houston and BYU. Wait, do they play? Oklahoma State plays BYU? They have UCF at UCF at Houston, home against BYU. Their schedule is very easy the rest of the way. And well, that's they get also, BYU and Stillwater. Well, that's a team that is made up of players who lost by four scores to South Alabama. So I think they are very capable of losing all three of those games. I don't think it's likely. They're probably not going to. But... Yeah, I, like Oklahoma State's not very good. They're they can lose all those games. Like uh, that's, that's not like obviously like, a if, different. If Oklahoma State plays Texas in the Big Twelve title game, they're going to get freaking run. We'll see. I mean, maybe, but Texas isn't necessarily a team that can just beat the crap out of people that are. I mean, Oklahoma. Well, Texas will be able to move the ball and score on Oklahoma State because 
Oklahoma State's defense is bad, but Oklahoma State could probably figure out how to, eh, I don't know. Texas has a pretty good defense. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Don't know. Oklahoma State runs six plays. It's, I, it's, I, I think Texas would be fine in a hypothetical matchup. Yeah, if they played regular football and didn't beat themselves like OU did, then yeah, I think Texas would, would win that game. So I'll ask you this as we move on from Oklahoma State. Uh, so the start of the show, <coughs> I played uh, audio from Brent Venables' press conference of George Stoya asking him about uh, the final play of the game. And I was curious, I don't know if you heard that at all or if you want to read the transcript, if you have any thoughts on that, because I... Uh, I thought it said quite a lot that uh, even though Brent Venables did not say a whole lot, I thought that was a pretty, I thought that was the most interesting part of the Tuesday press conference. I read the transcript. Um, and I mean, did you see like sort of the context of it too? The comment that he made on his coach's show about the Rolodex and, and whatnot. I mean, straight up just said, I mean, yeah, without that's, it. That's the whole thing. So you'll, when you listen back to the podcast, you can you can listen to it, the exchange. As I, I'll have it in the podcast. Did you put the Rolodex line yeah. in there? Oh, you did. Sorry about yes. that. I th- wait, are, we, are we talking yes. about the coaches show or are we talking about the press conference? So, and just a little peek behind the curtain. So, Grant has not, like, obviously everyone listening to the show has already heard the beginning of the show. Uh, Grant has not heard the beginning of the show because I always do it in post-production. And so, I put the press conference audio at the start of the show. I don't have the coaches show audio, but I, I couldn't find that. And really, well, I'll be honest. I didn't look hard for it, but the coaches show stuff was just kind of the background of it because that was a quote that George Stoya used to ask preventables a question at the Tuesday press conference, which is what everyone on the, you know, listen to the show heard at the start of the show. Does that make sense? Probably not. I don't know. It does. No, I, I know what you're saying. And, you, and then, so yeah, you're talking about Vinny, you know, saying, yeah, no, we're, we're on to West Virginia doing the, doing the Belichick thing after, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, he's on that coach's show, right? He straight up just said, and who knows if this was unfiltered or if he didn't really think about this very hard, but he just straight up said, yeah, the last, that, that fourth down play call was bad. Um, and yes, that was, it was a very poor play call. And that, that's, that's a play that, like I'm, and this is me being emotional and everything, but that's a play that pretty much only ever works on the goal line. I, I just I never see that play work otherwise. Um, but it was just everything was wrong about it. Everything was wrong about it. Um, obviously Drake Stoops didn't run his route correctly. Didn't run it deep enough. Um, the fact that you're cutting off half of the field and not even cutting off half the field, you're essentially cutting off ninety percent of the field, basically, um, and you're shrinking your space. It was just, it, it was a catastrophically terrible play call. And especially when OU throwing the ball, just drop back passing over the middle of the field, had whatever they wanted the entire game. Oklahoma State could not cover Drake Stoops. They just could not. It was to the point where if OU just came out in 10 personnel, four wide, and put Drake Stoops in the slot and asked him to run option routes, he would have been open 100% of the time. Yet they refused to do that. Weird. I wonder why. I don't know. I don't know how often college kids run option routes. I, I would imagine it's very, very few. Like, I, I doubt it happens a whole lot. Like, I think only Travis Kelsey kind of does that with Pat Mahomes. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, man. I think that's like why he's always so open. I think there's lots of, I think there's relatively a lot of option routes in Levy's offense. I know Riley had a lot of option routes in his offense. There's, I don't know, man. I don't, I, 
I, Riley like let CD Lamb every once in a while, but you think these offensive coordinators are going to let receivers do whatever they want to do and risk potentially a, a bad throw or an interception? I don't. I mean, yeah, I, that's what like that's what practice like the, is for. That's what, that's what well, seven and, on seven uh, is for, and all that. And, <laughs> and and far be it for me to defend Jeff Lebby because uh, you know he's been in the crosshairs the last few weeks, but I will in the sense that Drake Stoops was talking about that play earlier this week and Drake Stoops said that that was one of the, that's one of his favorite plays in the playbook and he they run it all the time in practice and it works all the time in practice so we, we had Drake Drake said it was a great great play uh but also we had Venable say that uh, they had a Rolodex full of other plays that could have worked so interesting well not on the same page uh yeah like, what's I the mean, player that's... gonna say the player's not gonna say it was a bad play the yeah no gonna exactly say it's a good play and so but yeah, I mean, it just goes to what we were talking about on the podcast this weekend after the game is that it's it's that incongruity that I was talking about. There is there's clearly just not on the same page. The offensive staff, as well as the head coach in regards to that, is just not on the same page. And so I was, you know, we're, you know, what well, we're 72 hours since the last time we recorded a podcast since then. And, you know, I've been, I, I went pretty hard in the paint on that one. I was I listened back and I was pretty upset, clearly could hear it in my voice and uh you know calm down a little bit and I just I kind of want to just clarify I don't I don't think Jeff Levy is a bad offensive coordinator it's you know I've I'm you know I'm an alum of the University of Minnesota I've seen bad offensive coordinators you know I I've I've watched I've watched Kirk Ferentz coordinate Iowa's offense for the last decade I've seen bad offensive coordinators we his son Jeff Levy Brian what did I say Kirk the head coach Interesting. Brian I thought Ferris I said Brian, the, but yes. whatever. Yeah, it's Brian. And, um, you know, Jeff Levy, he, he draws up some nice plays. Clearly does. There's some, there's some plays that he's drawn up that have been really nasty. In fact, he was actually really good in the Texas game. Him, him making the decision to make Dylan Gabriel's legs a really big part of that game plan was, was really smart, and it really helped them win the game. Funny, in their biggest game of the season after that, he didn't even think about doing that, but that's beside the point. Actually, no, it's not beside the point at all. That is the point. Um, but all I'm saying is that it's clear. The reason why a change needs to be made is because it's just not the right fit. It's not the right fit. It's one tempo doesn't work. And I think that's been sort of like the, I think a, a lot of people have started to come around to that, especially this week. I've heard a lot of people, especially in the, the OU podcast cinematic universe talking about that as well. Um, just how kind of tempo and college football is dead. I mean, right. Like you can't, you have full impunity as a defense to fake injuries. You can't, like, there's no way that you can build a rule into that that's going to change that. Um, I, when the defense wants to slow you down, they can legally do it whenever they want, period. Um, and that that's even before we go into the problems that it causes uh, with precision and discipline and all of that, especially when that is your number one priority, which if you listen to Jeff Lebby talk, when he was hired, after he was hired, ever since he's been here, his tempo, that's the main part of his offense, period. And that sucks. That's gimmicky. Oh, you shouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it's gimmicky. Uh, we've, that was our biggest concern coming in. We've said it a million times on the podcast. And the, the best part about, I think, Oklahoma's offense that I can say is, you know, like when, when it's humming, it's humming. Obviously, it's it's not a it's it's a good offense. I mean, it's definitely statistically, it's up there. It's just at big time moments in games. In the last two, they've come up very short and they made a lot of mistakes. I'd say, you know, maybe the the, the underrated best part about the offense is the Texas game is a perfect example. 
the fact that the end of the game is not stressful because they always go fast. So like when you have to score fast and you have to go quickly, it's not stressful. I think that's probably the best thing you can say about it is that they're always going fast. So if they have to go down and score quickly, it's not out of the ordinary, like as opposed to if God forbid, Iowa was down a touchdown with two minutes to go and at their own 20, they would have no idea what to do. Granted, they have no idea what to do anyways, but. And yet um, outside of the Texas game, when they've been in that position ever since Jeff Lobby has been here, they've been dreadful. I don't know if that's oh that's true. I mean, they've they, been in that uh, position. They've been, like I'm just thinking. I mean, the last this two year, games, they have not been good. Yeah, Kansas and Oklahoma State, they were bad. I'm thinking back to remember the the Cheez It Bowl against Florida State, absolutely dreadful. We're terrible in that situation. Um, and that was mismanagement of timeouts too. <clears throat> yeah, and so that. I'm not sure. And now I'm I'm trying to think back on last year. Um, and that just goes into also, I mean, all of the games in the second half of last season in which it's a theme, right, where the offense has the ball with the lead and they just need to score to end the game. And they just couldn't do it. Just stuff like that. And I know that's not just, necessarily that exact situation, but. It's really sad. All the goodwill that Jeff Lebby had built up through the first six games has just gone right out the window because obviously the Texas one's easy. That's the most recent good offensive performance. But how many times, even with the SMU game and the Cincinnati game, how many times, though, in, in every one of those games that was kind of like, eh, what's going on here? When Oklahoma had got to have it drives, they got them. I mean, like, I think it seems like every, every week, Grant, you were like, oh, that was the best drive of the year. Cincinnati, SMU, and like whenever they needed to finally kind of move the ball down there, it's like, okay, let's not mess around. They were doing it for the first six games. And it was, and that's, they were covering all, they were covering spreads. They, they were having no trouble. I mean, they were 6-0 and against the spread through the first six games. And all of a sudden, the bye week happens, and then that's all out the window. Through three games, it's all reverted back to all the worst parts of last year. <clears throat> and then throw on top of it, they can't run the ball this year. And they finally kind of gone to guys that, yeah. And that's actually one of the ironic things about the last two losses. I, I feel like these two games, these two losses... Yeah. It's been the games where the, the rushing yards have come the easiest the entire season. Yeah. And and like I know. and honestly, that's not even a feeling. That's that's objectively true. They I mean, ran the ball and, I mean, very well against Kansas and Oklahoma State. Period. They did. They they had they they were getting chunk yards whenever they wanted. And they ran it well against Texas, but that's kind of like an asterisk because of how much they ran Gabriel and kind of some of the big runs and it still counts, but like it's not it's not a traditional way of them running. When they finally started giving the ball to their best running backs the last two weeks, they've gotten yards. And uh, you made a comment on the last show, uh, and I know you're. I mean, we were we were all heated, we were emotional uh, about Tawi Walker. Uh, you said that you you thought he didn't look like he was banged up. Like I I should have pushed back. Like he definitely did look like he was hurt to me. Like he was definitely not 100. percent I think that shows why he wasn't playing at the end of the game against Oklahoma State. Like. I think he was still very injured. <laughs> I, I got to ask, why is he, if he's that injured, why is he playing? And why does he look more effective than anyone else you have on your freaking team? Well, it just kind of says a lot about him. He probably, they probably shot him up with something. He didn't play in the first half. So who knows if they like, you know, gave him a little shot after halftime. And uh, you know, he did, didn't play really in the fourth quarter. It was kind of like there's a couple of series where he was running. And I don't know. So I, I think he obviously was trying to gut it out because they have nobody else, but I, I will bring up, uh, you know, I, I don't listen to this podcast very much anymore just because 
these guys burned me a lot last year, and I just don't really trust them as much because of a lot of stuff. And I'm talking about Gabe and Teddy. Uh, but I kind of got low on podcasts this week already, so I was like, oh, I'll listen to their, their podcast. And I think it was probably Gabe that, that brought up uh, Javante Barnes getting, you know, basically getting pulled after that, that one play and never seen the field again. And, you know, throwing in, you know, the, the freshman running back a couple of times. And it's like, yeah, he's got a good point. Like if, I don't know, it's like one bad play, you're going to be out of the game. Granted, Barnes hasn't played much anyway. So it, who knows? It, it Throw that on the pile of running back decisions in 2023. It's been just head scratcher after head scratcher. I say that because Tawi was banged up and like maybe, maybe Barnes is more healthy and maybe he could have been more effective or something if, if they would have given him a chance. I don't know. No, I mean, it just goes back to what we were saying. I, DeMarco Murray has been an abject disaster this season. He's done a bad job, period. And if there's, if like, unless there is just some underlying circumstances that we are not aware of, but all the way up until, I don't know, what, the fourth quarter of Kansas, Tawi Walker has been healthy the entire season. Right, right. So I, yeah. like, I just don't, I, I don't want to hear it. I mean, he's been, like I said, I mean, his, his conduct so far, DeMarco Murray, and like it's been confirmed numerous times that he is in control of who plays in the running back room. He's the, guy, he's the one sending them out there. He's not like I, and I feel like, we're the, like I'm the only one saying this. He should not be back next season. That is the one thing that is a slam dunk. He's been so bad this year that he does not deserve to be brought back next year. Yeah, it's that room has been just completely mishandled. And if it's DeMarco Murray making the call with plays or if it's Jeff Levy or like whoever was in charge of that this year, I, I'm comfortable saying that they should no longer be in charge of that part of the job and whether or not that's them just not being on the staff anymore or what. But it's it's been so bad. <laughs> And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of surprised that I, we don't hear more uh, people in the you say the the OU cinematic universe kind of really hammer that home because we all we all see it. I feel like everybody has kind of acknowledged since early in the year that Tawi has pretty clearly been the best guy, and like, why is he not playing? I don't know. I haven't so. seen that. I've seen I've seen most people be like, uh, just kind of he's a walk on, and I'd rather have Sachuk and Barnes take this job. And I'm like honestly, I'm sick and tired of hearing that. It's low com denom crap. Tawi's one of the best one of the best running backs in the conference. Deal with it. Accept it. Yeah, I, I mean I Sachuk has to I mean kind of finally has to kind of get going and you know a big part of that at the start of the year was like, "Yeah, I wonder if they're just holding back these guys because it's a long season and they don't want to you know want them to get injured and then when the inevitable Marcus Major injury comes mid-season, which here we are, he's out, <laughs> you know, maybe these guys will be fresh and they'll be able to hit it hard the last half of the season whenever other teams are kind of, you know, worn down. And Sachuk has a chance to be that because he's been very lightly used so far. And so so does Barnes. I just don't know what the heck's going on with him. Uh, and they need to get Tawi back healthy. Yeah, it was really, uh, you know, I, I was encouraged with what we saw with, with, you know, from Sachuk. That was the first time, that was the healthiest he's looked for sure this year. But um, still, man, he... He he was not. He needs to break more tackles, though. He was still going down too easy on some some plays, and it's like that was that was not him in the Cheez It Bowl. I don't think he got brought down by the first contact one time in the Cheez It Bowl. It's just so weird. I just remember him watching the Cheez It Bowl. He just ran so low to the ground and had such great balance, 
And I mean, remember that his very first carry in the cheese at bowl, he took a huge shot, uh, like a guy lowered his helmet right into his thigh and he just bounced off of it. Like it was nothing. And that was when I was just like, Oh, Oh, this guy's different. I was like, I saw that and I was like, immediately, that guy's more talented than Eric Gray. Immediately. It's like, Oh, you're allowed to not be tackled on the first hit. I, this is the first I've seen of this. <laughs> but it's um no, I mean I and, and obviously I think that's been that's been the theme so far um of this week for sure. And and I'm I'm gonna keep harping on it. I, I, I do think we've kind of found something there. I, I think there's very it's it's not necessarily that the offense is bad and that they're drawing up bad plays and that these things don't work or don't theoretically work. They moved the ball well. I mean they, they moved the ball they moved the ball better than a vast majority of teams in college football. There's just very clearly a disconnect, a disconnect between the head guy on the offense and all of his underlings as position coaches and as well as the head coach too. It's because I think, especially the last two weeks, it has hammered home that Brent Venables has no, has had no say whatsoever in the offense. I think it's clear that he's handed all of it over to Jeff Levy. Yep, I think that's right. Just as uh, Lincoln Riley had no say in the defense, but it was more of just he had no interest. Like Lincoln had no, absolutely no interest in the defense, obviously. Uh, this is a little different, I'd say. I'd, I'd say I think Brent probably has a lot of interest in the whole team, but I think he's just kind of allowed, I'm just guessing, just allowed Jeff Lebby, a guy that he brought in, to do his thing. And his answer to, you guys heard at the start of this podcast, I mean, again, like, that said a lot to me. He is Brent Venables is just as frustrated as we are with the way the offense has played the last two games, probably three games. But uh, yeah, you're the head coach, man. You got to figure it out. You're exactly. In we can't do anything why, about it. I mean, there there are times right when I was listening back to our pod from this weekend where I was like, you know, maybe this isn't. And it's like, I, and I can hear it too, just like the rest of the fan base, just going after Lebby and the offense and everything. And and you know, I mean, it's. It harkens back to, I mean, what did it, what did it, what did Lincoln Riley just do? He just fired Alex Grinch. Did anyone else? Did anyone here think that that's actually going to help USC's defense? No, <laughs> right? Of course not. Yeah, no. I, it's almost like we. I think we all kind of assumed he was going to go at some point. I kind of just thought he'd wait till the end of the year. But I guess being ranked like almost dead last in FBS football for an entire year at this time of the year, I guess Lincoln's like, yeah, I got to do something. But yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's not going to help. <laughs> so if, if yesterday's game was, you know, or if last week's game was was what made Vinny finally say, okay, yeah, I, I need to step in here and I need to... It's like, makes me wonder if he's even thought about this stuff. Where it's like, have you been... Like, you've been asleep at the wheel? Look at our personnel groupings. Look how easy they are to defend in some, in some ways. Like, that's the... I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 clearly the disconnect. It's the miscommunication. It's the and and I and I do think you can you can point to Vinny on that and not just not getting not getting in their face and say do do what makes us hard to defend. And they don't they don't I do remember, that. I remember at the, some point last year when I was still on the beat, still working at News Nine, one of the press conferences. I can't remember after what game when Venables was made the comment of you know where. He, he would he'd say, yeah, sometimes yeah, I'll get in the headset and say, hey, Jeff, remember that play that scored a touchdown on a quarter ago? Run it again. I remember him talking about that last year and having that quote. And it was funny. And uh, it just 
man, like we're more than a year later, and it just it makes you wonder how much he's trying to get involved. And I it, I would guess not a whole lot, but it's maybe starting to get to him a little bit. And you know, who knows? Maybe there's a come to Jesus moment finally. Uh, but then again, our you know, our friend Brady Trantham from the Keyhole Pod, he he loves to talk about offensive coordinators like Jeff Levy, like Lincoln Riley, and I'm sure he's probably got others that are very arrogant and stubborn. And they'll do their thing because they're very smart. You know, I, I, I think Brady's got a point. I, I don't buy into it as much as he does, but I do agree that Lincoln Riley is a stubborn play caller. And I do think that Jeff Levy is as well. But at the same time, though, I do think that if Levy had a guy like Brent Venables get into his ear and actually like say stuff to him, I think Levy would kind of have to do something because he's not the head coach. Like Lincoln didn't have that. Well, yeah, I mean, Lincoln was the head guy. It's his boss. Yeah. Or yeah, and I mean that's his boss. I wasn't saying those things into the mic. And yeah. <laughs> oh yes. So so and I mean obviously Levy was a you know player when Venables was there and like he's younger than Brent Venables so you would hope and not to mention I'll throw this out there even though it shouldn't matter but it kind of does the whole thing with Art Bryles like Levy might be kind of on thin ice in a way it's like if you're Jeff Levy. You're going to do, if you want to keep your job, you're doing everything that Brent Venables wants you to do because a lot of things, in theory, are not kind of going your way, even though statistically the team offensively is still really good. But you dive into it and there's issues. So I think that's the most interesting storyline the rest of the season, though, is Venables and how he reacts to the offense. And we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens on Saturday. I'm, I'm curious to see how, how they'll come out because... I'll be honest with you. I mean, if it's, I think we're going to kind of know how the last three games are going to go this season, probably by the first quarter against West Virginia. Hmm, maybe. Let's switch gears a little bit. Just a bit of an injury update. The very end of the press conference got to injuries. Uh, Venable said that there's several guys that are literally day to day. He did say that Danny Stutzman practiced on Monday. I would assume that means he practiced the last couple of days too. Uh, Venables also said that Tawi Walker practiced on Monday and that Gentry Williams was, was planning on practicing on Tuesday. And Venables said that he did not have any idea about any sort of game day availability aside from who they already know is not going to be playing, which honestly, I'm not even really sure who that is yet. So that's still kind of, I don't know, not very clear. So uh, I don't know. I mean, Danny Stutzman, I, I kind of, I mean, if he's good to go, good to go. If he can play, great. I think we know that Kip Lewis is good. So if he doesn't play, I think they're, they're fine. I'd sure like Tommy Walker to get back to full health. We'll see about that. Gentry Williams is a walking wounded. Duke can't say healthy. So don't know what to say about him. He was getting picked on against Oklahoma State and didn't play a whole lot, honestly, in the game. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And then you got Tommy Walker, not great. And we'll see how it plays out. But. It shouldn't matter. If Oklahoma plays better offensively, it, it, it shouldn't matter. But when they're playing so inconsistent on the offensive side of the ball, every little drive matters. Every single injury probably matters. Yeah, you know, I, I would like, uh, you know, obviously I would like Stutzman to be back. He's, he's the best player on the team. I'd prefer that he plays. Um, and also, I, I mean, it's, I'm curious to see if, if the coaches, you know, after Bedlam are just like, okay, yeah, when, when Stutz is healthy, we, we, we got to get him and Kip on the field at the same time. Uh, and I, I mean, like when I rewatched the game, I, I absolutely mean it. Danny Stutzman and Kip Lewis are the two best Oklahoma linebackers since Corey Nelson. 
and they are on the same team, and they should be on the field at the same time. Corey Nelson and who? <laughs> there, I mean, I don't know. Just Corey. Oh, Nelson. you just mean like they haven't oh, been. Okay. They have not been good at linebacker this decade. This the last ten years, they just haven't been. Just throwing dirt on Kenneth Murray. That's just man. Kenneth Murray was Kenneth Murray was a was a really good shock trooper in 2019. That guy is I mean, I'm sorry, was still just completely lost in pass coverage. And if you asked him to diagnose a run in the correct gap, uh, you know, he was not going to be very successful doing that. I think everybody knows that. The guy was <laughs> guy guy was very athletic and he made some plays. Was not a particularly consistent or good player for Oklahoma. He was never part of a single good defense. Yeah, that's true. Best one was 2019 and I mean you know, like was much improved from 2018. Yeah, I mean you got like friggin' like Curtis Bolton who had a pretty good season in 2018 but also that was the worst defense in Oklahoma football history. So, God, man, how quickly you forget about Emmanuel Beal playing Will. Guy looked like a looked like a corner playing Emmanuel linebacker. Emmanuel Beal playing Will linebacker, trying to freaking tackle Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb in the Rose Bowl. It's kind of funny now that you think about it, right? Remember going into that game and you and and I was just adamant that Georgia was was the best offense that OU was facing that year, and you thought I was crazy. It's again. It it's not it was not the best offense. It was a generic offense. Oklahoma's defense is terrible. Like, great. Generic Georgia, even like, gen- I, generic offenses run by by NFL players are really hard to stop. I, I mean, I was calling out plays as I was watching that game. If the coaching staff and the players would have just watched you know a lot more film, they could have probably diagnosed and seen a lot of stuff coming because what Georgia did was very very obvious all the time and. Oklahoma didn't see it coming, and they couldn't stop Oklahoma it. didn't have any good players in their front seven to get off blocks and stuff. Oklahoma started that game really well. They only allowed, what, 14 points, I guess technically 17 in the first half. They got a, they got a touchdown in the second half. The, the defense played, played well enough to win that game. <laughs> and then Georgia just decided, okay, yeah, we're actually just going to run the ball, and they can't stop us because we're just a lot better than them man-to-man. Come on, that's what happened. Georgia Georgia decided to take the game away completely from the X's and O's just to the Jimmies and Joes, and that's why they dominated the second half. Well, yeah, and I mean, and Riley and OU offense went into a shell. They couldn't figure out how to beat press man coverage. <laughs> just run crossing routes, guys. You did a lot. On crossers, asked CeeDee Lamb to, even though he was a freshman, to beat guys one-on-one. You can do it, I promise. Maybe split out Mark Andrews, get him ma- ma- you know, mismatched against a linebacker. I mean, when they drove just, down just the not, length of the field and tied the game Smith. in the fourth quarter of that game, they were finally doing that. Remember, they, they, there was like a 30-yarder to CD that was just one-on-one, and he went up and made a really nice catch. Yep. It was a great play, Gosh, though. Touchdown had, to Dimitri, Dimitri Flowers, too. They had CD Lamb, Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews on that offense, and they couldn't figure out how to throw the ball in the second half. All right, back to 2023 OU football. Got a couple prompts here. So I was listening to, uh, obviously, I listened to Venables. I listened to Dylan Gabriel talk. Uh, listened to Drake Stoops, Gavin Sawchuk. Listened to some, some interviews. And I thought Stoops sounded like Drake Stoops. He just wants to go play football. He just loves football. Like, I think we can all relate to that. 
Like we see Drake Stoops and he's like, yeah, I just love football. I'm going to go play. I don't, which is like, yes, that's how I would be too if I was on the team. And I think everyone listening to this show, if you also played football for OU, you'd, you'd probably also think, yeah, that's how I'd be. Hope, I mean, well, if you were a starter. <laughs> now, if you're like some scrub guy never plays, honestly, if you're kind of like not all in right now and you're just kind of going through the motions, I honestly wouldn't really blame you. Because <laughs> like how boring and awful is practice and you've, they've lost two games, but that's beside the point. You're Drake Stoops, you care. Gavin Sachuk, whatever, he's, he sounded fine. But man, Dylan Gabriel kind of seemed like dejected. Venables kind of just kind of seemed like he didn't want to be there either in the press conference. That makes me wonder. Maybe Gabriel's yeah, dejected so, because he had just been told that Jackson Arnold is going to take half the snaps against West Virginia. Ooh, maybe. Hmm. Well, he was asked, I mean, the basic question, you know, about how the team has responded after the two losses and Dylan Gabriel said, I don't know yet. And he paused for a second or two. He says, I think we'll know come Saturday. That'll be a big deciding factor on how we respond. You don't know yet. <laughs> You've been through a couple days of practice. And I mean, I get what he's saying, but it just was kind of like, I don't know if that instills a whole lot of confidence in me, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. All right. Well, hey, well, I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll see going. if they if they come out and just like totally flat and not ready to go. I mean, that would be that that wouldn't be normal. I mean, even last year when, you know, Team 128, like they, they came out, they were always prepared to play. They were always ready to play like that was never the problem. So if if yeah, if they come out flat and it's just like but also, I mean, that's how they've been, you know, in the first quarter these last two weeks. And that's really yeah. the first time it's been like that, you know, since since Vinny has been here. So. Oh, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like there there's a reason that everybody's freaking out these last two weeks. People have eyes. They're watching the team. It's like the step back that they took from the first six games of the season is drastic and concerning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back to last year is is valuable, I'd say, just because there's a lot of the same players on this team. The way they did play the last half of the year, even though they they, they lost games they shouldn't have lost, they did look ready to go and they played pretty well in the first part but as you said they have not looked ready to go I mean aside from UCF the defense was more than ready to go but the offense sure wasn't and you know Kansas and and Oklahoma State yeah not I mean the offense I guess was ready to go against OSU they scored in three plays uh, but the defense gave up a touchdown in the first drive so we'll see I don't know I mean kind of kind of have an open mind here I wishful thinking kind of think they're going to be able to find a way to bounce back and play better you know they're playing at night i don't really think that matters but i will say like they're going to do these unity uniforms which the last time they did these it was during the day and i think we were all kind of like i wonder what these look would look like at night i think it would look better like the helmets and stuff so i think they'll look pretty cool under the lights and the helmets are designed to reflect light and stuff so whatever i mean players are more into that stuff i do hope more. that this is the uh this is the official end of the Rough Rider uniforms, I really hope, because only three games left, and if these are the only alternates they wear all season, I'm, I kind of got my, got my fingers crossed on that one. Well, I don't think they wore the Rough Riders last year either. Yeah, they did. They did against West Virginia. Them. Last year they did? They sure did. They've, they've never, oh, they've never won, or they've never worn, or sorry, they've only worn their traditional uniforms once against West Virginia, and that was 2017. Wow, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, West Virginia is their alternates team. They always wear their alternates against them. 
Yeah, sure enough. Yeah, I guess they got their they got the red pants going. Um, okay, so how about this? I know this is kind of this is kind of come up. There's some there's a question about this to Venables in the press conference about penalties, and obviously that you know we talked a lot about the penalties in the Bedlam game. There were some bizarre penalties in the Kansas game. Uh, Oklahoma was the most penalized team in the Big Twelve, and the last two games they had 11 for 101 against Kansas. Eight for 54 against Oklahoma State. Look back at last year, Grant, and OU was like the second most penalized team in the Big 12. I, what's, I thought Venables was supposed to come here and they're going to be super disciplined. And like, is, you know, how much do we rip on Lincoln Riley teams for being undisciplined and committing lots of penalties? Because uh, they did. I, the last time I was going through, the last time an OU team was like not that heavily penalized, I think it was actually the 2018 season, if I remember right. As I was looking back, like they were kind of like in the top top five and like fewest penalties in the conference other than that they've been near the bottom of the big 12 in penalties for you know ever since riley's been the head coach so i bring that up to say though that penalties have been a problem i guess but they haven't really honestly they haven't seemed to me like they they've been that big of a deal i think like just the offense and everything is totally overshadowed the the mistakes and maybe that kind of goes hand in hand because a lot of it's a lot of the mistakes are on offense but I don't know. For whatever reason, I don't. I don't think to the last two games. Not me. You know what? Penalties were the reason why Oklahoma lost those games. Am I crazy to think that? I don't think you're crazy. I mean, like obviously, I don't like penalties are annoying. They suck. I guess, like in my OU fandom history, I don't remember a time where OU wasn't heavily penalized. Like 2008, the best OU team I've seen in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure they led college football in penalties. I like, think Florida did. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think Florida was maybe it would have been teams. yeah. I was say, maybe it was one versus two in that national championship game of like it's. I just like I don't. Yeah, and like and obviously like you you don't want them, especially like those fifteen yarders. Those are all, those kill you because you can control those a lot of the time. Um, I and this is maybe just a sidebar here. I, I've I've heard and and you know read some other people who who kind of keep bringing up like. I don't know the, the Venables fifteen yard penalty and how it's just kind of like sophomoric stuff and how it's like and you know I I generally agree with you but I just I can't I just can't get there in terms of that that one that was throwing a flag on that play was Mickey Mouse garbage um, no coach has ever been penalized for a situation like that ever it's like the first time it's ever happened <laughs> you, like, you I just, say stuff I like that. And you have no way of knowing that's true. I know, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you saw it. You saw it. He did nothing. He did nothing out of bounds at all. He did yeah. like he got penalized for doing something utterly normal. And like, well, and I was I know, texting was, you and Brady. I, I, like in the SEC, apparently they literally made it a rule like six years ago that you can't do what Venables did. And I don't know if that's a rule also in the Big Twelve or what, but. The fact that so the you, SEC did that has that. So, so you can't you know. can't argue calls. No, you can't run out onto the field and talk to the official. It's, it's a rule the SEC put in because they were tired of their coaches, I guess, running out on the field and yelling at officials. So, <laughs> they like there's a I read an article about it the other day. The, Again, the, I don't the know point if they is, that rule. Maybe they don't. But I, I don't know. But the point is, he got flagged for something that happens multiple times in every single competitive football game. Every single one, and and I guess and the quick and the quick trigger the quick trigger d- is suspicious. It is. It just is. You don't you well, don't make decisions like that that quickly that if you're a human being. 
Well, it's especially the sense that makes me think that it's a rule in the Big 12. That's what I was like. Oh, well, I'm like oh, out here by the numbers and the coach is out here. Well, this is easy. Flag. That's kind of like, that's what I, I think. I really, I, mean. I really struggle with that. I really struggle with it. It just, it does. It, it feels, it really feels unjustified. Really does. It really feels like Mickey Mouse stuff. That should not have happened. That's fine. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue too much with about it. I, it doesn't, it just didn't bother me that much because honestly, I didn't think that the play, like, again, we've talked about it. I just didn't think it was that agree, like egregious of a missed whatever call, like. On the Drake Stoops no call, sure. Like, dude's getting tackled, and, like, the, the in-the-booth referee for ESPN was, like, saying, I, I just don't – that's literally the definition of pass, of pass interference. Like, sure, but, like, I just – that particular play, I didn't think it was – I think it should have – I think it should have been no call. I think it should have been nothing. But I didn't think it was that egregious that they called P.I. on Vickers. I mean, I, it's just – it was, it was a, frust- it was a and, frustrating play. Because that is what Oklahoma State was trying to do. That was that was the pass interference offense. That that wasn't going to ever going to be a completed pass. They were just trying to draw PI. It's frustrating. It's frust and it wasn't PI. It just wasn't. And so I I mean I don't know. Like I, I struggle with that stuff with the penalties because it's just especially when you got you got back to back just subjective calls like that. That's what they are. And they like they got it's smart. It's smart football, man. I, I wish they throw the ball up to Jaden Gibson, who's taller than corner. I mean, you throw up, throw up to a big six two six three guy against a five nine corner. Yeah, that's like the flicker back in the the Mike Stoops era of cornerbacks and and Alex Grinch, the short guys that can't get up and make a play. That's that's and what I, happens. Like it's, I mean, it's, and it's it's more of me just venting. They even with all of the the horse the horse crap, they still should have won by two scores. When you, when you, I guess that's, and yeah, I guess our, our friend Brady Trantham has said it a lot on his podcast the last four days. When your defense in the heat of the game forces six consecutive scoreless drives, you can't lose that game. In fact, you got to win that game by double digits, period. Especially a a couple of them were just like huge momentum shifting stops. I mean, the, the fourth down and short twice, the interception. By the way, we didn't bring this up. This is a, a sidebar. Gosh, I, I know I'm not the only person that was watching that that uh, when the ball was in Billy Bowman's hands, thought, I was saying score, please score, go. score. Please go. He, he can do it. This guy can. And then and he, there, was like, there was like a split second where it looked like, ah, maybe. And then the, the hole closed. <sighs> all right, so we haven't really talked at all about West Virginia. Let's do it briefly here. West Virginia, of course, just like Oklahoma State, West Virginia all of a sudden is playing its best football of the year. <laughs> they got beat by Oklahoma State a few weeks ago uh, in Morgantown, and then since then they beat up on UCF, and they beat up on what, BYU, I think, last week. And their offense is looking better. Garrett Green is not much of a thrower, but he can. You're going to get a lot of you're gonna get a lot of situations where Garrett Green puts – linebackers and corners in conflict like what do i do they're gonna roll him out like he's gonna have some rpo situations where he can roll out and you make linebackers and corners like decide do i go for my receiver or do i go after garrett green so it'll be up to brent venables and ted roof and the scheme to make sure that there's a secondary player or there's a person accounting for garrett green so their linebackers aren't making those decisions aren't having to make you know the the one or two spot 
So that's going to happen a lot. They got some a couple good running backs, I think. And their offense is capable of moving the ball, especially with Oklahoma being down injury-wise. And, and they're playing good football right now. I'm not sure about their defense. Their defense is kind of average-looking. Their defense um, has not been playing well lately. It uh, had it had some opportune moments against UCF. They turned over UCF, I think, four times in the game, uh, one of which is very lucky. The other times, it was John Rice Plumley just throwing bad picks, fumbles. So they're kind of, uh, you know, what's the, they're opportunistic defensively. And then I didn't see any of the BYU game, but, you know, BYU's offense is awful. So, you know, who knows? If, but they did what they were supposed to do against BYU's bad offense. Only held, I think they held a touchdown. So uh, the thing is, like, we've established the last few weeks in this podcast, doesn't matter if the opposing defense is bad. Oklahoma's offense hasn't been able to exploit it. And I don't think I, – I think West Virginia's defense is probably better than Oklahoma State's defense. Yes, it is. So, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Who knows? I, you know, it's um, – I don't know. I think there's, there's kind of a narrative going around um, that none of these teams that, that they're going to play these next three – these three weeks are, are on the same level as the last two teams they've lost to. I don't agree with that. I think West Virginia is on the exact same tier as Kansas and Oklahoma State. <laughs> I, I, they're not – I – like obviously you just look at you know look at results and everything and and like I, I forgive you if you want to if you want to favor those other two teams over West Virginia right now of course Oklahoma State already beat West Virginia but yeah no they're those two teams are not that much better than West Virginia like I this this West Virginia team if OU lost to KU and Oklahoma State they can certainly lose to West Virginia well yeah they can lose a lot of teams right now <laughs> I mean like after two losses, I don't. I get that fans are fans, but come on, there's there's no way there's lots of fans that are like, oh, okay, easy game against West Virginia. Come on, no, that that would be naive. I mean, I understand it. I kind of got it going against UCF. You know, OU was six and zero coming off a bye, and everyone thought they won the national championship. Even though we all knew UCF, depending on how John Rise Plumley was, could pose a pretty good challenge. Turns out John Rise Plumley wasn't even fully healthy, but the, and they still pose a, a pretty good challenge. And West Virginia is figuring it out. Garrett Green's obviously playing a lot more. He's more comfortable. And I mean, I, I'd say like they're below Oklahoma State and Kansas just be, mainly because of the quarterback position. I think Garrett Green's not as good of a quarterback as as Bean and Alan Bowman are playing right now. But yeah, it's certainly a game they can lose. And West Virginia's going to come in with tons of confidence. I guess one of the few things that – maybe one of the only things that actually kind of makes me feel pretty good about this game is Oklahoma lost to West Virginia last year, and they already avenged the Texas loss. <laughs> so like maybe they're kind of putting some extra emphasis on teams they lost to in 2022. I was thinking that last year. See how much pride these guys got. A lot of dudes still on this roster that lost in Morgantown last year. And like what I said – the worst football team Oklahoma's program has lost to, I, I mean, probably since they lost to, like, I don't know, some crappy Oklahoma State team in the early 2000s. I don't know. I mean, that Iowa State team in 2017 wasn't very good. That Iowa State team went to a bowl game. Last year, West Virginia they went 4-8. and eight. West Virginia was terrible last year. Pretty sure they that was their only Big 12 win. Oh, <laughs> 
Is it really? <laughs> That's awful. They're hideous. You watched it. Like you, you watched that game. Actually, Oklahoma versus West Virginia on the field. West Virginia was dreadful. That's a bad football team. Oh no, yeah, no. That West Virginia team was awful. Terrible, terrible last year. Yeah, you're right. I thought that uh, Iowa State team was worse. Uh, now West Virginia also beat Oklahoma State too, and Baylor. They had three. They had three conference wins. Um. Uh, so that's to say is, who knows? I, I I like that. I mean, I don't like that Oklahoma lost to him last year, but in, in the sense of this game, maybe. Maybe that's something. But this guy played better. Is, uh, no, no disrespect to West Virginia, who's got some nice players. I, you know, I think C.J. Donaldson's a good player at running back. Beanie Bishop, I think, is a really good player in their secondary. I'm familiar with him from his, uh, his Golden Gopher days. But... Um, like I said, with all due respect to West Virginia, this this game it's Oklahoma versus Oklahoma. That's what this game is. I, like it's Oklahoma comes out and doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, and they they do what works. and And this is a game that they should win fairly comfortably. But we we do not know if that's going to be the case. So one thing I do know, Lee, if this game if this is a close game, Oklahoma will not be winning this game. If OU wins, they, they are going to win by double digits. If this game is close in the fourth quarter, they will not be winning. Right now, Oklahoma is a 13-point favorite over West Virginia. Let's quickly get into the Big 12 and our picks and then call this podcast uh, over with. Let's see. Texas Tech at Kansas is kind of an interesting matchup. Kind of a weird number. Kansas by five. Texas Tech's not a good football team. I think I like Kansas a lot more than you do, but only five points at home. That's a weird line. So I don't know. That's kind of like that's either probably a stay away. If anything, maybe do grab Texas Tech. That's weird. That's a weird number. Totally stay away on that one. I I just don't. And yeah, I mean, it's it's like I can't I wouldn't be able to bet in any Kansas game because I'm my view on them is warped. That's that's not a particularly good team. Uh, Baylor and K-State. K-State's a three-touchdown favorite. Uh, K-State coming off of a close loss to Texas. And, I mean, did you – I'm sure you saw it. Like, they went for it on fourth down late in that game to try to go for the win. Not a very imaginative play call. (laughs) I mean – like that play had no chance. Like that might have been worse than Oklahoma's play call on fourth down. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea what they were doing in that situation. I think kind of earlier before that, on the drive where their kicker missed the twenty-seven yard field goal. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, which was which was honestly one of the ugliest misses like I've ever seen. He just looked so uncomfortable in his motion yeah, while he was going. Yeah, the fact they even were in position to, to even have a chance after that miss is pretty pretty uh, remarkable, actually. Sorry, but it was like I think before that kick. Like, can't it was like it was something crazy. It was like third and like it was like third in inches from like the four yard line. And Kansas State just ran the ball right into the heart of Texas's defense, right into the heart of their all American defensive tackles. Was one of the like they had some of the worst goal line play calling I had ever seen. Where they're just like, you know what? We're it's it was like one of those stupid football meathead things where it's like we're just gonna impose our will and do our thing. Uh, who cares if Texas has 
has has maybe the best defensive tackle in college football and another guy who's going to play in the NFL. We're going to run right into that. Come on, guys. Get your freaking Chris head Kleiman out of here. Maybe slipping butt. a little bit. There's old there's old C Kleiman slipping, man, because his game management against Oklahoma State was was really poor. And I mean, they did a great good job of coming back to even have a chance against Texas. I know they were trailing by a lot. Boy, I don't know. Well, they better I'd be kind of curious get his, if K State fans are kind of wondering. Better get his S word together because he's he's the next head coach at the University of Oklahoma. So <laughs> I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to Oklahoma hiring uh, Bill Belichick whenever the Patriots fire him at the end of this season. Maybe they can get Bill come in here. Imagine. Imagine Bill Belichick trying to recruit dudes, kids. Maybe it would just be yeah, like, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, Nick Saban's an come, amazing come recruiter. Maybe school. Belichick is also just like secretly incredible, like personally, when he's just like one-on-one with someone. Maybe. Although it's pretty obvious now. I mean, we're, what, four years removed or so from Brady and Belichick being oh, that's together. All Brady. I, that's all Brady. It's, it, was, it was mostly Belichick for the first part before Brady – the, the, for the offense got good by about 2007 on it was definitely mostly Brady and one of my biggest pet peeves is still to this day whenever there's people that talk about Bill Belichick like he's some sort of genius and like it's like have you not paid attention to the Patriots since Brady like, they're under 500 like Belichick his as like a GM they, they they cannot they cannot draft a wide receiver their personnel is bad they can't get a quarterback like no <laughs> He's he's not a genius. Get get out of here with that. I would Good say like though. kind of more the bet like the better way of putting it is just to say that Belichick and Brady was just a uniquely like a unique match made in heaven. Sure. No, yeah, they're great together, clearly. Uh but yeah, Brady leaving and then winning a Super Bowl immediately is just like <laughs> pretty incredible. Anyways, uh you don't listen to this show for NFL talk. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, well, you just UCF, broke the news right? of Belichick being the next. Like, you got some got some sources there. <coughs> I'm not sure if I if I want Belichick. I mean, he, he, personnel wise, like his recruiting would be awful. He, he wouldn't know who's any good. Like, he can't draft anybody. He's gonna he's gonna get the next Mac Jones. Great call on that one. Uh, yeah, I Mac Jones is one of those guys I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts on because I didn't see a whole lot of him in college. So I was like, I don't want to have a. Like, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, he seems like he doesn't really have that. Like, he, he seems like he doesn't really do one thing really well. Like, his arm's not that great. He doesn't move all that well. And it's turning out that he's not good. <laughs> Another guy, like, I like Bryce Young, but I was kind of thought, ah, he's kind of small. And I don't know. Like, he just doesn't look like as good as, like, I, I thought Baker looked better than Bryce Young when Baker was in college. Like, by, like, by a lot. Uh, and Bryce Young. Bryce Young kind of looks like. He might not be good. Bryce Young is Colt McCoy. That is what I said when I watched his very first college game. He's Colt McCoy. That's who he is. Interesting. Which is great. I mean, Colt McCoy, just an outstanding, my, my favorite Texas player of all time. The only Texas player I've really ever respected. Colt McCoy. <coughs> great college player. Um, yeah, I like Colt McCoy Really, too. really great pro. I mean, he's, I mean, he's been, he's had a job his entire, you know, he stayed in the NFL, but. Obviously not a high-level uh, starter at that level. Yeah. Anyways, we briefly touched on UCF and Oklahoma State a long time ago in the show. Uh, weird line, Cowboys by three on the road. I, yeah, I don't know. I, another stay away. 
UCF straight but, up, and I'm just riding it. Uh, yeah, I part of me kind of thinks that OSU's rolling right now, and they're they're really well coached right now, and they might go in there and, and win by three scores <laughs> because UCF's defense is bad, and I think Oklahoma State's offense is pretty good right now. But we'll see. I mean, I mean I'm sure John Rice Plumley is a lot more healthy than he was three four weeks ago, and he looked pretty good against West Virginia. He's definitely running better. Uh, but his passing was uh, not nearly as good as it was when I saw it earlier in the year. Cincinnati and Houston's playing. Houston's got a two-point home dog. Might as well be a coin flip there in Houston. Whatever. Uh, Texas Welcome to the TCU. Big 12. Hope you guys have had fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Big 12. Hope you had a good time in that, uh, that, that OU-Cincinnati game where Oklahoma inexplicably let Cincinnati hang around. Texas is a 10-point road f- uh, favorite over TCU. <coughs> Excuse me. And Iowa State is a 7-point road favorite at BYU. You know, I, I wanted to jump on BYU, but I, I need more than 7, I think. I need more than 7, <laughs> even though they're at home. That's an they interesting just, game. I will... That's a 9:15 kick on ESPN. I will I I you know, I will almost certainly watch every snap of that game. That sounds fun. Gosh. To the pick section, uh, boy, I went 4 and 1 last week, you went 2 and 3. And uh been a pretty good year all the way. Yeah, you're having a good year. You're having a really good year. I was in the I was in the money this week in spread pool, by the way. Congrats. So, that's a thing. Seeing the, seeing the board pretty good right now. Seeing the board pretty pretty well. Oh, boy. I could have... Well, I think I just, just jinx it. What's the uh, Itchy and Scratchy Land episode line? Oh. Welcome to Itchy and Scratchy Land, where nothing could possibly go wrong. It's the first thing that's ever gone wrong. Yes, yes. That's, that's what just happened with my pronunciation. Nothing <laughs> could... Okay, God, we are, we are uh, off the rails. Biggest game of the week, I'd say Michigan and Penn State. This line's been four and a half like all week. Michigan four and a half on the road. And I mean, you, you know, or at least you know where I'm going to go. I don't know if you've changed your tune, but I'm, I will certainly grab Michigan. I have zero respect for Penn State. Uh, I know all the stuff going around with Michigan, whatever. Uh, less than a less than a touchdown. I think Penn State's their offense has scored some points the last couple of games. I don't know if they finally decided to kind of open it up. Whether they have or not, that's not going to matter. This is gonna be by far the best defense they've seen. And uh, I, Penn State's defense, probably even though Michigan's offense is probably kind of like whatever, they haven't seen an offense as good. So I will gladly lay the four and a half points with Michigan. I also lean towards Michigan. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and throw them on there. Um, man, what is it? What's So what, Saturday is going to be the 9th, 10th, 11th. November 11th is Saturday, right? Penn State is the yep, first Veterans Day. Oh well, thank you, troops. Um, <laughs> uh, Penn State, the first good football team that Michigan has played this season. Actually, I'm going to even say this: the first team with a pulse that Michigan has played this season. Yeah, and that that's part of the handicap for sure. Uh, for Penn State. Maybe the second team they play with a pulse. Maybe third. If you want to... Eh, Maryland, I guess. I think they played Maryland just last week. So Maryland's... I always got a pulse. When you when you play the best defense in, in the country, that's still a... Uh, okay. 
So yeah, even I'd though say, like yeah, I, right. even though like your so point Penn State's is more battle tested. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Penn State's more battle tested. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, would as much as I don't like Penn State, would them beating Michigan kind of make me smile? Maybe, yeah, because I don't like Michigan either. Uh, and honestly, it has nothing to do with the current situation with Michigan. I just don't like Michigan. They're just boring. They're just a boring team. I, I've never been a big Jim Harbaugh fan. Granted, that's not true. I, I liked him when he was in San Francisco. Uh, I think he's obviously a very good coach. I've, I've always I've had this rant on this podcast forever. It bothers me so much that Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback. And his, and his defenses were always awesome. And his offenses were always bad and sucked. Uh, like, J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy is really good. He's like I'm. I've been and every time I've watched Michigan this year, I have been legitimately impressed by JJ McCarthy. He they don't Against ask the him teams to, without a pulse. They do not ask him to do much, but he like he's he's got a lot of ability. He really does. Was he anywhere before? Or has he always been on Michigan? He's always been at Michigan. Okay. All right, so we're both on. But Michigan. also, you know, I mean, you got Michigan. I think is. Um, is is very clearly the most overrated uh, program in college football history. Um, they've never really won anything. They've won a lot, just never anything of consequence, really. Um, and and like I do, like I, um, I, I, you know, me, I, I think the sign stealing stuff is is a bigger deal than you do. It seems like. Um, I, I believe in karma this way. They they don't they they don't deserve to win these games. They don't. Like that's when you, even even if even if they are that much better than everyone else and the signs don't matter and everything like that, um, they continue to do it and put a lot of effort into doing it. So they thought they were getting some sort of benefit from it, and uh, I yeah I just I don't I I just people saying that it's not a big deal and it's not it's just a bad take it's a bad take. There's it's a lot of ethics and just a lot of just things that they want. And I mean, the people I, who say that it's just, like, just not. Just don't care about following the rules. Don't care like, about following the rules. Every all. like a lot of teams do this. That's the thing. Like it didn't was there a report where like it came out that Michigan said, Yep, other teams did this to us. Here we go. I mean, I granted it's them reporting it, but like I believe it because why wouldn't other teams this is not that big of a deal, of course. Like, why it's, wouldn't you send people? It's because other teams do not do it. Clearly, they do not do it. Yet yes, they do. This is a thing that happens. Like People where, okay, where's Scott. your like? Where? T- tell me where. Like, there's a lot of freaking evidence here. It's not. This is not just. This is not just poor old Michigan being ganged up on. They flagrantly the most, violated the rules for multiple years. What was the? What was the the report today about other teams doing it to Michigan? I don't know. I mean, that seems, I, I did. I did not oh, see okay. that. I did not see that report. Okay. Well. But I just yeah, like. I just. So it I'm. Just, it, it does. It, it bugs me. Follow rules. People who flagrantly disregard the rules should be punished for it. Period. And they have done that. Man, I just don't care about the story. It is so boring. I I don't care at all. I it doesn't. It, it's 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 so interesting to me that so many people care about this. I it's in, I like I care about integrity. Season. I care about integrity. If people are being are, are if people are like are just sort of like violating the rules that with literally no regard for it whatsoever and getting away i'm not okay with that there are people who follow the rules as like a part of their life and it's important to them and when people don't do that it's a slap in the face to everyone else and and like frankly those people are are pos's 
You don't do. You just don't yeah, do that. I, it's again. It's because in my mind, it's just this happens every, like all the time. So it's just. And honestly, like, I don't think it's that big of a deal because it's not always going to work. So like it, you're risking if you're going to live by trying to steal signs, you're going to die by it, too. So that's that's why I look at it, too. It's like the same way if you're trying to steal signs in a baseball game, like you might think you have it, but maybe it's you not don't. The sa- it's not even close out. to the same thing. It's not even close to the same thing. That I guess to me, like, again, like you don't know if they're always getting the correct stuff. So like who knows how much is even working for them? Let's see. It says Michigan's fighting back. They're rebutting all of this stuff. They're going to present evidence to the league that other Big Ten schools decoded the Wolverine signals and disseminated them to future opponents. Oh, it's a Sports Illustrated story. And, I mean, I listened to a, a you know, radio show that Brady Quinn's on a lot, and Brady Quinn's been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Like, yeah, like, guy, like, this happens all the time. And, I mean, the guy played in college. Like, he's Brady. Like, so, I don't know. I kind of think that he probably has some insight into that too uh, and he's like yeah why why haven't you seen many other people talk about it well it's because other schools don't want to get busted for it because they know they're doing it too it's kind of the same idea as before nil happened you know, like all you always hear about people getting paid under the table and stuff and people getting in you know the mcdonald's bags and it's, it's like I, I always like wonder like why is there not more stories about this it's like well because you don't want to tell on somebody else because you're probably doing it too kind of the same thing so that's kind of I why just, I, I, that's why I don't think it's that big of a deal. I ref, I refuse to believe that. I think that's total cope from people who who aren't bothered to care about something that's important. Okay. I just I mean you gotta you gotta win games on the field, man. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I sorry if 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 you know what what the if you know what play the other offense is running, that is literally the biggest advantage you can have in the game of football. And if you do it, if you get those signs, and you know that because you flagrantly violated a rule that is well known, then yeah, you can go f yourself. Sure, yeah. If you violate rules, you should get punished for it. Uh, another thing too is like the, the, nothing's going to happen in season on this. It's all if anything happens, it'll be outside of the season. It's not going to. Who cares? It's not going to matter. Like what are they going to do? Like if Michigan wins the title, they're going to strip it away from them. Like okay, whatever. That doesn't mean anything. It, Reggie Bush doesn't have a Heisman Trophy anymore. Yeah, he does. No, I mean that's why it's yeah, that's why that's why it's like it's it's silly, but like if something does need to be done this season. Cuz like I said, yeah, if 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 Michigan does go through and they win the national title and then those things are vacated or whatever, that's meaningless. That doesn't mean anything. The YouTube videos still exist online. People are still going to are still going to have the memories. That's still a national title. That it's like a I just like I don't I don't like cheating. It's ridiculous. College football is hard enough. Well, that, and like, and I'm sorry, like Michigan, Michigan does hard. not recruit at a high level, and they're kicking the crap out of everybody. It's fishy. Well, they play an easy schedule. They play a lot of bad teams <laughs> every year. They play like one or two good teams. It's almost it's very similar to like Clemson in the ACC, where they would play like a couple of good teams every year. Granted, they're beating teams a lot. Well, Clemson would beat up teams pretty bad too. So like, it's it's also a matter of the schedule, man. Like, uh, granted, they have beaten Ohio State the last couple of years, which is Michigan kind of would would beat the ever living crap out of Kansas and Oklahoma State. I don't know. They'd give up a lot of points, probably. They never see good offenses. Nah, they the would not. Like, I those those they would those two those teams would would very much struggle to score two touchdowns. This is the Michigan. part about college football that I hate because you can't you can't ever compare s- schedules and stuff because there's so many teams. You can't like. It's it's not even just like the one like it's the quantity and the, and the the consecutive times you play against guys, like 
you play Kansas one week, then you play Oklahoma State another week, then you play UCF the other week. Like, you're going to see some tough offenses. Granted, you're going to probably score a bunch of points on those teams because they don't have good defenses. But you're going to be challenged a little bit more than you're going to be challenged by Purdue and Iowa offensively. You just are. Like, when you get strained offensively, it's been that way forever, man. And my a big thing of it, part of me is, like, these defenses are really good, but it's a lot easier to be really good whenever you're not really that worried about a bunch of offenses straining you. And that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> my biggest piece of evidence is TCU. Just put up like 60 on them in the freaking bowl game last year. <laughs> Utah and Washington's playing. Washington's a nine and a half point home favorite. That's a tough one, man. Uh, Washington's kind of, I mean, they, they, they're, playing, they're playing good. I mean, they had the one kind of weird game. What against uh, Arizona State? Took care of business against USC. Utah just can't score. Like their offense is not very good. So, based off of that, I'll take Washington. This one's Play really nine tough because Washington has been kind of sketchy lately. Yeah, and they're coming off a big win over USC where they kind of put a lot of energy, you know. And yeah, you know, let's see who. I mean, Utah's a good team, obviously. I'm not sure yeah, what their history like, is. Like, Washington's not going to Washington's going to lose to Oregon State. So I. Oh, and they're they're at Oregon State next week. Yeah. So it, it could I'll, be. Yeah, it's. it's I'll actually maybe a good go sandwich with, game. I'll go with Washington on this one, and then they'll they'll, they'll lose their first one to Oregon State next week. So okay, interesting, interesting. I was looking back at last year's schedule to see if they played Utah. They did not. Let's see. The last, man, they don't play Utah very much. Let's see. The last time they played Utah was in 2020, the fake 2020 season. It was a three-point Washington win. I mean, Utah did just – I mean, I guess it was two weeks ago. They, they just got obliterated by Oregon. They did, yeah. They just, yeah, yeah their offense is very good. Uh, but they, I mean, they just, they bounce back and beat the crap out of Arizona State. Hmm. You know what? God, I almost feel like changing my pick here. So you're on Washington. Wow, I'm going to, I'm going to commit a cardinal sin. I'm going to, I'm going to go against my gut. I'm going to change it to, to Utah. I'm going to, I'm going to grab the points plus nine and a half. Sandwich game for Washington between USC and Oregon State. Yeah, I'll go with Utah. All right, this is, uh, this is tough. Tennessee and Missouri, basically a coin flip game at Missouri. Tennessee's laying a point, so Missouri coming off. I mean, Missouri, got to give them credit. They, they pushed Georgia last week. I guess they might be pretty good. I, I mean, honestly, like. I'll go with Missouri I'll, here. Give me Missouri. Give me the. Missouri. Yeah, give me the home the home dog here. Um Yeah, and, and ten, like Tennessee hasn't like Tennessee's a good team. They're just they they're not like a they're not like a world beater to the point where I'm just like, oh yeah, this is I mean it's just a one they just have to win the game and they're gonna cover the spread. But um Yeah, I, I like Missouri. I isn't it is it like we haven't really talked about it, but remember like how like one of the uh, the storylines in the preseason coming in, it was like, man, what what Joe Milton are we gonna get at Tennessee? And he's just he's just Joe Milton. That's just who he is. He's just been very average and 
and mediocre this year. He's just he's just Joe Milton. <laughs> yeah, I mean he throws it throws it really far and really hard. See those mountains? He can throw it over the mountains. Just not with any sort of accuracy, unfortunately. All right, so we're both on Missouri there. Another good SEC game. Ole Miss at Georgia. So Georgia plays Missouri, a tough one. Uh, now they play Ole Miss, a top 10 matchup. Georgia's laying 10 and a half, though, at home. I mean, is it is it really possible that back-to-back weeks Georgia won't cover? Mm. I kind of think that's unlikely, so... <laughs> I'll go. I'll go Georgia. Yeah, I'm. I'm at the point where I'm. Wait, did Georgia not cover last week? No, they didn't. Hmm. They were favored by like fifteen and a half. Oh, that's right. Well, I'm gonna keep rolling with Georgia. They're they're gonna win. They're gonna win the national championship again. So just throw them on there. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of thinking Ohio State's going to win it all this year. They kind of just got it all going for him. You know, Ryan Day is a hard-nosed guy, you know. They're just kind of figuring it out. Gosh, A&M and Ole Miss. Like, ugh. Yeah, Georgia. I just don't want to see Alabama make the playoff. I don't want to see, like, two SEC teams. It's so boring. Finally, I put this last game in there just because of USC. I feel like we've had USC in the picks every single week. And I know you brought up Alex Grinch earlier, but we talk about Alex Grinch, but I don't know how much we need to talk about it. But it's USC at Oregon. Oregon's laying 15 at home. And that's a big old number. Oregon just... Oregon just spanked somebody last week, too. Which I thought would be a look-ahead spot for Oregon, and it wasn't. <laughs> they, won, they won by, like, 40. So, I mean, I, I think I saw some a stat where USC hasn't covered since like week two or three <laughs> like to that so i firing alex rich is not going to really help granted i mean that's pretty inflated but does usc care anymore mm. you oregon's got everything to play for it's a dumb game probably wouldn't want to bet it but for the sake of the podcast i'll stick i'll stick betting against usc i'll take oregon i'll take usc here that's a lot of points that's a lot of points for the best offense in college football It is. Man, it is. I just don't. I don't know. Do they care? I mean, is, how much pride does Lincoln Riley have? I think, I mean, I, I think I, a lot. Like, I, I felt like I watched, I mean, I watched a little bit of the USC-Washington game, and, like, USC was ready to play. They had, they had juice, for sure. They just stink on defense. There's not any good. They just, it doesn't matter how much juice they have. But, like, they, I mean, they were... Yeah, I mean, like, I think if I think Gosh, if right. USC's if yeah, USC's right. offense plays well, which I think is a pretty decent bet. Yeah, I mean, 15's a lot. That's a lot of points. Let's see if there's going to be any weather. Just kind of curious. Weather forecast in Eugene. It just wouldn't surprise me at all to see another. Was it? I think what it was 52 to 42 against Washington. Like, wouldn't surprise me to see something like that again. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like it might rain. Ah, man. Twice in one podcast, am I going to change my pick? I think I am. Too much value on USC. I think you're right. That's that's too many points. They're you're buying them at a, you know, super low spot. 
Maybe there could be a the 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 dead cat bounce with firing Alex Grinch, even though it shouldn't matter. But I guess after they fired Mike Stoops in 2018, the next game the defense did play okay. Like TCU. what can they do? Like it's already like their defense is already so basic. And who was it? Like I okay it maybe was it Colin Cowherd or something like that? I can't remember who. What this was this was earlier this week or maybe on Sunday too. I just I don't know which like national pundit was talking about how complicated Alex Grinch's defense is. The entire time what? I was yeah the entire time I was watching it I was just I was kind of cackling to myself. And I was like, bro, man, you're either just talking out of your butt or you are misinformed. The reason why they get absolutely <laughs> shredded is because they're easy to decipher and every offense knows exactly what they're looking at every single time. It's like complicated. Not to mention, not to mention they're, they're tiny. They get pushed around. They can get overloaded and get ran on. Just ask Chris Kleiman. Just like, I mean, gosh, man, Alex, Alex Grinch and that scheme... It's it's like almost hilarious having to go against Joe Burrow in that LSU offense with, <laughs> with Justin Broyles out there and oh my god. That's hilarious. That's actually like who, the further we get away like, from that, now that's I actually know which, funny. which pundit said that. I think it may have been Cowherd. God, what a man, there was a time when I listened to his show like every single day. And I just don't care anymore about what he has to say, which is, I guess that's just growing up, I suppose. That's the same thing with uh, with the, the way OU's playing right now. Like, with the missed P.I. on Drake Stoops, obviously a terrible call. By the way, I was just perusing Twitter today, and I, can't, I think maybe, I don't even know how I got onto this, but it was some thread... OSU, something was trending that was about Bedlam or I saw some tweet from some OSU guy <laughs> like trying to explain how why actually it was a good no flag by the by the refs <laughs> and like by, and like citing some rule like saying that he was out of bounds and I just was looking at this and I thought oh so this is this is like deep in loser Twitter of like people that care way too much and don't know what they're talking about like this is and like message board stuff. This is what this is. It's like some random thing. And there was like, you know, 50 replies. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of like, yeah, I'll get, see, <laughs> Sooner fans don't know what they're talking about. And there was like, you know, sprinkled in a couple, couple of OU guys like, what are you guys talking about? So anyways, just kind of throw that in there. It's like, oh, yeah, that exists. And like, I'm so far away from any of that stuff because it's just like so stupid. And I can't believe there's actually people that that do like, this Like, does stuff. it hurt? Does it like hurt that much? Like, does it does it take away your victory that much? Like that you have to like right, rationalize yeah. it actually being. Why don't you just why don't you just accept the call, dude? You got it. No one's taking the ring off your finger. Just go. Just take it. I, I, I work with a ton, like I work at the Department of Agriculture. Basically, everybody there went to Oklahoma State. <laughs> Every single person I've talked to about the game, they're like, "Oh man, that was, whew, pretty horrible missed call there on that Stoops play." <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> but what I was gonna say though, is that as I've gotten older, you know, f go back to college maybe even maybe maybe not. I, I certainly would have felt differently about this. I'd have been probably you know the, the fans that are like oh that penalty that cost us the game this is the worst thing ever. Whereas like now that I've seen more football and I kind of get things more and 
you kind of just see the way the team has played, you kind of realize like, guys, it doesn't really matter that much. Like the, t- the team's not very good. So who cares? Kind of reminds me of the one time I is the GIF, a, a, you know, the, the GIF was going around on Twitter of, um, of, of major rights, um, extremely violent sort of criminal, um, head to head hit on Manuel Johnson in the, uh, in the national championship game in 2009. And I commented on it, basically said, you know, yeah, I mean, should have been a personal foul, should have been an ejection, maybe should have gotten arrested too. Um, and, uh, and then it just like, man, all the Florida fans just came out of the woodwork. And that was like, and you know, I've never really been like the, the main character on Twitter or anything like that, but that was interesting to me. It was interesting to have a bunch of people like go after me but also knowing that I was absolutely right. It was fun. Yeah. Well, just imagine, though, when you're the main character on Twitter and everyone's going after you and you're convinced that you're right, but you're actually wrong. <laughs> like, I had Florida dudes actually God. tell me that that wasn't a penalty and, like, that shouldn't have been. And, I, and then, of course, I also had the guys, you know, calling me, call me a wuss, but with a P instead of a W, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, okay, yeah, you got you got meathead football guy here. You're you're a moron. You got so they all they all came out of the woodwork, man. It was great. Yeah, it's just uh, a lot of people in this world, and it's a lot more communication out there thanks to social media. I'm uh, uh, recap the picks. Yeah, I wish I wouldn't have wish I wouldn't have brought that up. I uh, man, that is literally the most violent head-to-head collision I've ever seen in football. And it went totally, man, screw that game. Screw that game. <laughs> okay, to recap, Grant and I are both on Michigan, laying the four and a half against Penn State. I am on Utah plus nine and a half. Grant's on Washington, laying the nine and a half. We're both on Missouri, catching a point at home against Tennessee. We're both on Georgia, laying ten and a half at home against Ole Miss. And we are both on USC, catching 15 on the road at Oregon. Uh, two of those, I, I, pick, I, I switched my pick. So I haven't done that all year, and I've just done it twice in one show. So that could either be a good thing, bad thing, but more, realistic, more realistically, I'll probably end up just splitting both of them. Love averages. All right, well, 6 o'clock kick, uh, kickoff on Saturday, OU and West Virginia. Let's see what shooters team we get. Don't know what I'm doing yet for the game. If I'm uh, at home or something watching and not sure what you're doing on Saturday night, but if there's a way to, to record the podcast after the game, I'll let you know. But we'll see. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. On-air production meeting. But uh, why not? No, nah, I'm going to be too busy watching. Uh, be too busy watching Iowa State BYU. So oh, going to that's, that's, have to USC Oregon. I'm busy. You can do that YouTube TV split screen with USC Oregon because that's a nine thirty kick. Jeez, you know the YouTube TV late. split screen is not—it's not good. It's not a good product. The fact that you can't pick the the games that make it up just kind of makes it a little untenable for the most part. And uh, nobody cares about this, but I just—I had to throw that out there. It's not—it's—it's uh, it's not great. Well, I disagree. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. If you plan it out correctly, you can get the games you want. And yeah, it's awesome. I don't so, know if you've noticed, but the the networks, there's only one multi view of the networks, and they're all together. You yes. can't. 
which is that's that's yeah, you have to part. have multiple TVs. That's another thing. Like if you only have one television, then yes, it's it's not great. Uh, but if you have multiple TVs, then you can plan it all out, which I usually have three. So it's a it's a pretty good watching situation here at the old the old Lee cave. <laughs> I love not being out. I love not having to work on Saturdays anymore. It's great. <coughs> and Sundays. All right, guys, enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll be back afterwards to talk all about OU West Virginia. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.